0: Welcome back to Rural Roots Rising. If this is your first time listening, Rural Roots Rising is a monthly radio show and podcast created by and for rural Oregonians who are creatively and courageously building stronger and more vibrant communities for a just democracy. My name is Jess Campbell, and I'm the director of the Rural Organizing Project and one of the creators of Rural Roots Rising. Today's episode continues our community media spotlight series by highlighting the point a daily radio show hosted by a rotating cast of hosts at KPOV. We're going to hear how The Point and KPOV support and resource community organizing in Central Oregon. In our next episode, we'll go behind the scenes with one of The Point's hosts, KPOV station manager and community organizer Bruce Morris. I met with Bruce last week for an interview. Here's how he describes KPOV.
1: So, Well, KPOV, first of all, is mostly a volunteer-powered and it's a listener-supported radio station. We're a community radio station, which doesn't really have a legal definition, but it, it means that we're run by the community and we work to serve the community first. But the original idea for KPOV was to provide a progressive alternative to the mainstream media. And that came with a lot of things, and it wasn't just progressive in terms of politics by any means. It was progressive in terms of music selection, in terms of variety, in terms of the kinds of people, too, that we wanted to have on the air. One of our specific values is um, elevating voices that are not normally heard in the mainstream media. So we have got local people who know the community, talking about the community to inform and educate. Our, everybody here in Central Oregon, and that allows our community to make more informed choices about what we do going forward, you know, whether it's elections, whether it's public policy, it, just in, in being better informed in how we make the decisions that impact our community.
0: Today, we'll share two interviews that demonstrate KPOV and the points power. First, we hear from Jeanette Sarai-Yarandi, founder and executive director of Mecca Bend. Mecca Bend is an online directory assistance program that enables the Latinx community of Central Oregon to find the necessary resources for work support programs, family assistance, education, housing, local events, and much more. Bruce interviewed Jeanette in March 2020 about the disproportionate impact COVID was having on Central Oregon's communities of color.
2: just sort of dawned on me and started to put in motion a lot of outside um word you know, word of mouth and hearing things from friends and, and family members throughout the the, the the counties that we live in about what they're experiencing and how a lot of folks are not aware of what communities of color and um, the Latinx community and the black community and um, our indigenous and native relatives over in Warm Springs are experiencing. Um, They're unaware because it's not really something that mainstream um, news is picking up on. And when we hear personal experiences, I think it really, it touches our heart more than um, these news flashes of what's happening globally. And, you know, Central Oregon is a wonderful community. It's tight-knit, and there's so much help that, wants, that that's out there. But if folks don't know where the help is or where they can go, um, then it's really for nothing, because we're not reaching out to the communities that need it the most.
1: Do you have, you're talking about where the help is and how to get it, uh, can you help us, help people who are listening, uh, figure out where the help is and where to get it?
2: Well, um, there's there's lots of resources in place now um, that I think a lot of the bigger nonprofits and organizations, um, even the city of Bend, are putting together with the school districts and, and different organizations to aid those that are in need. Um, one thing, and this is a very touchy subject and it's going to be hard to hear, so um, I just want to prompt by saying that, is that these resources and what is becoming available to the broader community of Central Oregon do not target specifically a lot of folks that fall between those cracks of, A, having access to Internet to know where these things um, are, and, B, to the folks that perhaps do not have the proper documentation or are waiting on documentation of citizenship status that don't qualify for many of these programs that are being offered.
1: Okay, so that's... Um. Uh, those are great points, and and maybe we can address them one at a time. How do we get information to people? Who? Because you're right. I mean, you know, when I was, I, I I don't know if you were you were listening. You probably weren't because you were anticipating actually being on the radio. But I I just <laughs> I
2: cut just a minute. Okay,
1: so I just stumbled my way through, and stumbled is the right word. Uh, reading off the places where people can go to get um sure. lunches for children from from the schools, sure. right? I was about to say, if you if you need to find out more, I was going to direct people to, to websites. And I sort of did. Right. But then I right. realized, wait a minute, a lot of people may not have that access, right? Exactly.
2: Um, and exactly. So, and yeah. that's, that's our default. That's our default. Right. You know, go here, www. Dot, or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, it's, it's an equity issue to those that, again, don't have access, perhaps, to Internet to those that don't speak the language, that don't understand, and, and we have to understand, the newscasters are probably going as fast as I am, trying to you know get in as much information as possible, and you know they're perhaps sharing phone numbers, sharing websites, but it, it's just not a, a good enough. Um, it's not a good enough alert to those that uh, are unable to, like I said, speak the language or have access to internet to be able to research more.
1: Okay, so that's a that's an important uh, hole we need to f- our community needs to find a way to fill. It sounds to me, um, yeah, clearly, right. And then the yeah. other the other issue you brought up is uh, people who may not have uh, documentation yet, um, and are may you know not. I don't know. I don't know exactly the the right terminology to use, but but certainly people who do not have. I, I suppose you mean citizenship or or um, right. you know whatever kind of doc- or, or or other documentation to. To be in the United States, I don't want to right. say right and right
2: and specifically referring to um, what sounds like is coming uh, down from the Senate right now and and the bills that are being passed for this emergency relief funding that's going to um, hopefully come into our own pockets to assist you know with those who have been laid off or who are at zero hours and can't collect unemployment um, the service industry workers that you know don't have the tip money that they rely on um to, to to survive in in our community so you know there's there's these wonderful things that could happen potentially for us but when when we think about the greater community that exists within uh central oregon those folks that are in the process of documentation meaning their their path to citizenship will not qualify for this emergency relief funding so Again, that's that's a bigger global issue. That's, that's on a larger scale. When we when we shrink it down to what we can do for our community, is to be aware that although uh, there are provisions out there, it's not going to touch us all the same.
1: Okay, and so uh, I guess let's if you, if you have ideas, and I'm definitely open to this because I'm I'm hoping that KPOV can play some sort of role. I mean, we do have communication technology that does not require the internet. Um, and I mean, it does require having some form of radio, um, yeah. whether that's in a car or, or whatever. But, but, but not just not, I'm not limited, obviously, to KPOV, but just thinking about what can the rest of us do uh, to help these people who are really like the most vulnerable people in many ways, uh, but will also have the hardest time accessing the kinds of relief uh, that are needed now and are, are going to be needed more and more in the
2: future. Um, one thing that I think is important to realize that we're I think all experiencing together now is that these networks of communication um, between particularly and and I only speak from my my the brown skin that I'm in in the Latinx community within central Oregon is that we have networks in place that already are for each other and for assisting each other whenever there is a need. If somebody needs to borrow a vehicle, if somebody is low on gas, if somebody, um, you know, needs a, to borrow a cell phone to make an international call, we're already aiding each other in these things. And so the way that other people can help um, that are right now currently holding on to, say, boxes of toilet paper or extra food or money, cash in hand, is to try and connect with organizations that can pair you with the specific needs of the community. And sometimes that requires us going outside of our comfort zone and stepping into places or calling places in this case um, and finding out specifically where are the needs. Are there families that are in need of this? I have an extra, you know, box of canned goods. Where, where can I drop it off? It takes action. It takes purposeful involvement on our part to do better.
1: Okay, uh, that's that's great. And what I want to do is let's hold on to that thought because I'm hoping you're going to be able to tell us some of those organizations that people can contact. Um, can you talk about what some of those organizations are?
2: There's also a great resource with Neighbor Impact um, for those that have been affected that need assistance, that are in desperate need of uh, utility bills, getting paid. They have a uh, rent assistance program also, although there's already a waiting line of, you know, over 30 people um, in line for that. So, again, it points to some of the inequities that exist within Central Oregon that perhaps we're not aware of. Um, there's also uh, my organization, Mecca Bend. It's a nonprofit. profit um, I work directly with the Latinx community, and I'm happy to uh, utilize my resources and my time to find where that need is and how we can help.
1: Okay, um, so there's a uh, Latino Community Association, Neighbor Impact, and Mecca Bend. Uh, for those of you who have in- internet access, that should be fairly easy to find. Uh, we'll, we will put up not; it won't happen in- instantly, but in in the next little while, I'll put up links to those organizations on the KPOV website. We have a coronavirus information post at the top of our website, so uh, we'll help out with that. Uh, what is the what is the prognosis? I, for uh, people of color, uh, undocumented people, you know, if this thing goes on for weeks and weeks, uh, uh, what are your concerns about uh, about the folks in that and in, in your communities?
2: Well, that's.
1: <laughs> I know, <laughs> that's big, a big big question. question. <laughs> I understand. That's a
2: big question. Um, here's here's what I'm seeing, and 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 where I feel um, things are going to get worse before they break and get better. Um, the unemployment rate in Oregon right now has just spiked. Um, we're all aware of that. We saw that go from a couple hundred to thousands now. Um, again, looking at it through the perspective and through the lens of a person of color, there are folks that do not qualify for the unemployment benefit. So how many are not being reported that are out of work? Um, we can see that easily by the what's happening with the restaurant industry in Central Oregon that are doing takeout or delivery only. Um, that cuts more than half of the staff that's normally on board, from, you know, the kitchen staff to the servers to the bartenders and the, the busters, dishwashers, et cetera. All of these folks right now are in a position where they cannot work, although they want to, and they do not qualify for unemployment. So I think what's going to happen is that we're going to see numbers, we're going to see statistics. Um, and to be very honest with you, I think they're going to be way off from what the reality is. And so I think we need to sort of bring it back down for ourselves to not be overwhelmed by the amount of need that there is, but to, again, target specifically families uh, that we know are in need within our own community. Because if we want to make the change, we have to start here at home.
1: Right. That's... Uh, uh that you the, the last point you made there, I, I think is is very powerful. In that you're right, it is very easy to get completely overwhelmed, and just to think, I don't. There's so much to do. I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. Uh, and there's there's a concept. It's in a lot of different philosophies. I, I do a lot of yoga. Uh, there's a a, a a method of thinking, I guess, if you will, called dialectical behavior therapy. One of the concepts is a thing called one mindfulness. So now I'm, I'm I'm waxing eloquent here, I guess, but one mindfulness is right. Pick something in the moment and focus on it, right? As a way to um, as a way to get get away from overwhelm and to be effective in the face of of this uh, massive this things coming at us from every direction. So I like that idea of find where you can make a tangible difference in your community. Uh, And then take the steps to make it happen, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and be reasonable with the expectation that, or the bar that you set for yourself. If you don't have um, the time or the resources, please don't sign up to help um, because you're overwhelming yourself and then you're overwhelming those that are counting on you. Mm -hmm. So be reasonable with uh, yourself and knowing your limitations and what you do have access to and what you can give uh, so we're not asking, you know, people to hand over their paychecks or hand over their stimulus check that they're going to get. But if you do have more, give more. And that was part of my message um, on that video: was that there there are folks that are in greater need that have suffered and have lived with way less than you and I are probably accustomed to. And that's the unfortunate reality: is that's their that's their lifestyle, that's how they live. So let's band together. Let's let's do without. A little extra right now and let's give it back to the community that feeds us that provides for us that cleans our houses that does all of the work for us
1: so uh, janet thank you so much for joining us i really do appreciate it um we're gonna we're uh, here at kpov trying to do our best to to get the community on the radio uh, even though we really can't have the community come into the station uh, for all of our safety yeah. reasons so and thanks for everything you do you do for our community
0: thank you um, all right thank you so, guys for <laughs> raising awareness okay thank you all right
1: thanks janet yeah. take care
0: The next interview is an episode of The Point from three years ago, where Bruce interviewed me to share more about the growing threat of white nationalist and paramilitary movements. It's kind of weird narrating an episode and also being an interviewee in the episode, but we wanted to share it in the wake of the paramilitary and so-called patriot groups storming capitals in Washington, D.C. and in Salem on January 6, 2021. So much of that interview still rings true today.
1: So, Jessica, one of the things um, ROP has been working on is uh, white nationalists, militia groups, um, patriot groups. Can you tell us a little bit about that work and what those groups are doing here in Oregon?
3: Sure. Yeah, so we first started, well, actually, we first heard about paramilitary forming in Oregon. At least I did. Uh, When I was on the road as an ROP organizer in early 2012, and it was very clear it was in a community in Western Lane County that multiple uh, members of the community were really terrified after there was a pretty brutal murder and it took the sheriff's deputies over six hours to get out to their community. Um, and folks didn't know each other. They were hollering at each other. was this person who had just murdered their neighbor, wandering around, clearly having a mental health breakdown, um, wandering around town, and folks were just yelling over their back fences to each other. And so a group out of Junction City that's now defunct called the Oregon Rangers came to town and told them what they needed to do was form a militia, that they couldn't rely on the county government, that they couldn't rely on police and that they needed to do it themselves, and that they believed, they knew who belonged in their community and who did not. And folks went along with it because they were pretty desperate, and it wasn't until the Oregon Rangers told them that it was their job to patrol the National Forest for undocumented people and brown people cooking mess that they were like, whoa, 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 what did we sign up for here? This doesn't sound right. Um, And they ultimately ended up disbanding their paramilitary when we actually saw there was some good, progressive community organizing that was pretty basic, like form a community newsletter and form a regular community meeting point in time where folks could come together and problem-solve together. Now, uh, more recently, we had a couple of mobilizations of militia and paramilitary so-called patriot folks to rural Oregon, probably... The most well known is the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge occupation. Um, but before that, a year earlier, they did. It was very similar. The same crew, minus the Bundys, who occupied a gold mine out in Josephine County. And what we really saw was that in Josephine County, a county where they had really lost so many scraps of public infrastructure from their libraries being privatized to, uh, you know, smaller towns dissolving their police forces, we saw that paramilitaries were the structure that were being offered, and it was an entry point into a movement that was far-right, that was actually not rooted in politics of inclusion, but instead exclusion, and knowing who belongs in your community and who doesn't, and running folks out of town who you disagree with. And so we really dove in during that first mobilization and really supported folks in josephine county who were you know just trying to figure out how to keep people connected and they realized that there's actually national organizations that were resourcing these local chapters that were claiming that these were local issues but instead it was really tied to the anniversary of the bundy ranch standoff in nevada and it was about media attention and recruiting and fundraising
1: So. Why does the development of these groups cause you concern?
3: There's uh, a number of reasons. I mean, it's one thing to have a political group with different politics that disagree with mine. You know, we live in a free country, we have the First Amendment, but when the First Amendment is screened as a selective process of whose First Amendment matters more, and these paramilitary groups have been not just having opinions, but they've been actively armed, training folks, and promoting politics about who belongs and who doesn't, and it's often racialized, it's often anti-LGBTQ, it's often anti-immigrant and anti-refugee, Islamophobic. You know, there's all of these narratives at play, and so when they become the de facto police force, you know, there's no accountability. This is a structure that doesn't have an elected body that we can vote on. And beyond that, we're also seeing various layers of the uh, paramilitary leadership and patriot movement leadership vie for serious political power, running sheriffs. You know, these are folks who really have a lot of alignment, actually, with the Republican platform right now and are really looking at how do they actually take their politics from the margins to the mainstream.
1: So what what is, is white nationalism, and how to what extent is that embedded in these militia and patriot groups and movements?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, white nationalism really is rooted in uh, folks who believe that white folks should have their own nation or ethnostates and that other folks of other ethnicities should have their own state. So it's this idea that we cannot actually live as communities that are racially integrated in that. We would all do better if we were somehow separate. Um, And a lot of these groups, like the Patriot Movement, isn't necessarily explicitly white nationalist. They have a lot of members and a lot of leadership that are white nationalists, but themselves as a movement isn't necessarily. Um, And they often cozy up to people of color, for example, who are, you know, pretty marginal. There's very few people of color in their movement, but they do a lot of trying to put those folks forward to really demonstrate, hey, we're not racist.
1: Do you have concern about these groups gaining real political and government power in the state? Yes. Okay. <laughs> the
3: short answer <laughs> is yes. Uh, we have seen that they have a pretty serious candidate recruitment process and a candidate grouping, grooming process. And thankfully, progressives also seem to be really upping their game, which is exciting to see.
1: Why why do you suppose they see Oregon as fertile ground?
3: I think that there's a lot of reasons why Oregon is fertile ground. Uh, You know, Oregon has a history of white supremacy that goes back to even Oregon's Constitution had that it was illegal for black people to live here uh, until the early 2000s. Um, So we have a history of, you know, we had a Klan governor. There's still buildings with Walter Pierce's name on them around the state. Um, So we have that history. That's one piece. And a lot of folks reference that history in the good old days, when they talk about their politics in a way to not uh, be explicit about their white supremacy, but as a nod to their, you know, the white supremacist roots of this particular state or territory. And then... You know, we have really seen that Oregon, rural Oregon in particular, uh, hasn't seen a whole lot of support over the last 20, 30 years. Uh, there's been, you know, we have a progressive majority, we have a blue majority in the legislature. And as much as we love their politics, we have counties that are losing their schools. We have counties where 911 service isn't dependable. We, I mean, that's part of the reason why paramilitaries really caught on because it was seen as a rapid response or a community response structure that would fill a void or fill a vacuum that was created by the state really eroding around them. And, you know, a lot of these militia groups and paramilitary groups were advocating for no new taxes at the same time that they were building these pieces of infrastructure. So it really perpetuates some of the the system here. But there's also a lot of folks who feel politically disenfranchised and who are blaming it on progressives in the legislature and at the state level, which that generates a whole level of resentment that is pretty powerful when you cultivate it the way that they have over years and years and years.
1: Right. So for people, excuse me, for people who are concerned about this and would like to see, or like, not to see further development of the white nationalists and militia and patriot movements in oregon what can people do
3: mm-hmm. well what we've seen is folks who are most impacted folks who are in community for the patriot movement and the paramilitary groups are most active you know we have seen that them coming together and building community around some bottom lines that's everybody in, nobody out, like all for one or one for all uh, kind of situation is really, really pivotal when they're in the midst of it. Uh, not picking sides, not being nitpicky about who's in or who's out, but naming you know everyone, including folks who are most targeted, need to be a part of community building efforts and we need to all network and we need to all be connected and communicating effectively moving forward. Uh, for folks who are living outside of some of these kind of hotspot areas, you know, we have counties that are losing their libraries. Douglas County just lost their library, which, you know, <laughs> it might be sound like a leap to connect library closures with the paramilitary group, but when you really think about where folks go in order to apply for jobs, where folks go, if they don't have a babysitter, where do their kids get sent if they can't afford one, where do folks go if they can't afford to pick their kids up from school at the school bus that drives their kid two hours each way. Um, I mean, it's just a situation where the libraries are so heavily utilized by folks who are most impacted in this political moment, this economic moment, and the loss of those services is huge. I mean, we also, I feel like it's time for the state to have some real conversations about what what are our bottom lines to each other when you live inside Oregon? I feel like it should be a bottom line that folks, if you call 911, you should get an answer and that there should be a process. I mean, no one at the state level is actually tracking who has or who does not have 911 dispatch. And it is a huge source of insecurity for so many reasons, including folks who are surviving domestic violence situations and rely on 911 in order to be safe uh, for folks who have medical emergencies. I mean, that lack of Social safety net, even just nine, calling 911 and having a human being answer, is not guaranteed in rural Oregon right now. And we can make a decision as a state to change that.
0: If hearing Jeanette share about the lack of internet access in central Oregon resonated with you, check out the Roadmap to a Thriving Rural Oregon. Rural community leaders and organizers are working together across Oregon to increase reliable and affordable internet access for rural communities. Learn more at rop.org roadmap. You've been listening to Community Media Spotlight, The Point, and KPOV. During Season 2 of Rural Roots Rising, we will continue the Community Media Spotlight series, so you'll be hearing much more from rural media makers across the state. Know of a rural media maker we should meet? Let us know at info at ruralrootsrising.org. Today we featured music from Ben Von Wildenhaus and The Road Sodas. Rural Roots Rising is created by the Rural Organizing Project, a network of more than 80 autonomous groups who are advancing human dignity and democracy across rural Oregon. To learn more about the Rural Organizing Project and to sign up for weekly email updates, go to rop.org. If you liked what you heard today, you can find more episodes at ruralrootsrising.org. To donate to sustain our work amplifying the voices of rural organizers, visit rop.org donate. You can follow Rural Organizing Project on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can subscribe to Rural Roots Rising wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. See you next month.